Hello, hello, everybody. What's going on? I'm super excited for you to hear this episode with Brand. He's one of my good friends. And, uh, you know, when I met him, I just knew that he had it. He is one of the most successful TV producers of all time. And I just think his story of not knowing what you're doing, but just freaking go is what a lot of you need to hear. And I would highly recommend sharing this podcast to your team because when he starts going, there's so many tips on how to get your team to sell more. And I know that's what a lot of you are looking to do right now. His book is called The Three Minute Rule and I read it. I've done it. I do the exercises in it. His whack method absolutely works and it's super simple. Anybody can do it, which I think is so important when we're trying to simplify things in this day and age. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this, but I would definitely send to a friend or maybe even send to a big leader who needs listen to this for his or her team. Uh, I love this conversation. I think you will too. Thank you again for the shares, subscribes, uh, the reviews. They mean a lot to me. And of course, there are always $50 giveaways once a week. Make sure you tag me in your Instagram story. Love you guys. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello everybody. What's going on? It's Jesse Lee. You can call me hashtag boss Lee or the people's mentor. And I am very excited for you to hear this podcast with my friend who I'll introduce in just a second, but I'm excited because, uh, he doesn't really know this, I think, but I taught at an event with him in New York city a little over a year ago. And it was probably still to date one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever done, which if you know me, which I know, you know, me, if you listen to this, That's not normal for me. I don't really get nervous. I love speaking in front of groups of people, but I always, almost always speak in front of my genre. Like I speak in front of a lot of network marketers, a lot of females, and I walk into this room, this location, this venue in New York. I'm like, these are like TV producers and these are like marketers and these are just advertisers, etc. Which ironically, my background, of course, my degrees are in marketing and communications, but for some reason I was so nervous. And then I had a great time uh, put on, you know, we, we both presented actually together. And then uh, his name's Brant. I'll introduce him properly in a second. But Brant came up to me and was like, girl, why are you not on TV? And I'm like, I don't know. And we had a conversation. We connected ever since. He invited me to swim with sharks with him. And uh, I want to tell you more about this wild man that I know you're going to love so much. So he actually, uh, first of all, uh, well, this is a podcast, but I also have it on, it'll be on YouTube also. So I do have his book, which is the three minute rule. I, it is on the Jesse Lee book list because I do like it and I did get a lot out of it. So we will probably chat about that. I would assume at least a little bit on here. Uh, it takes a, quite a bit for me to recommend book. And I was like, Brant, get it. But he has a 15 year uh, career as a TV and film producer. And so some of the TV shows that he, uh, he's produced that you would know. I don't know if you're familiar with, um, you know, The Biggest Loser or Bar Rescue or Master Chef or Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition, but Brant's behind all of those. He actually was uh, behind over 300 TV projects. He, like I mentioned, is an author as well. He's Canadian. I don't know if that matters. To, I'm, I know it matters to a lot of you. We have a lot of Canadians who listen to this. So this is your Canadian friend on here. He's ready for you. But he actually lives in uh, Southern California with his wife and three children. And he, what I like about him is he's super passionate. So everything he does, he has this crazy energy about him and ha <laughs> key relatable. Uh, so I was, I instantly connected with that energy and he, right before we got on here, he was talking about how, you know, there were 37 weekends this year. He was supposed to be out doing things. And I'm guessing that's more of the shark diving and maybe, I don't know, like bear wrestling. I don't know what you're doing. You're wild, but he does have um, a travel and adventure club called reject average that like I mentioned, he invited me to go on a weekend with them and it just conflicted because of all the craziness in both of our schedules. But uh, really, really cool. And this is probably why I like him the most. He is a huge advocate for rescuing animals. And y'all know I am hashtag adopt don't shop. I am all about it. Uh, he he is into rescuing all kinds of animals, you know, dogs, cats, horses. I think it started with a turkey, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I guess that's kind of Brant in a nutshell. But I'm really excited and pumped for all to hear from Brant Vidic. He is like, I already introduced him to you, but he is just going to be a fireball of energy on here. I have no doubt about it. He's standing, he's moving a lot, which probably means he's going to like throw down. There's going to be thunder and lightning blasting out of his mouth. And so I'm really excited to welcome to the people's mentor, Brant Pinvidic. 
How are you, my oh, friend? Holy smokes. Now that's an intro. Oh, my goodness. It was like a three-minute pitch just when, when we can do, When we can get out there, i got to take you on the road. This is the way to go. I should have you open up all my stuff. This is amazing. They'll be like, no wait, pressure. isn't, isn't no the book called pressure. The Three-Minute Rule? Like she talked. Yeah. That was three minutes. There's four seconds that's left. right. I'll take it. I will take that for <laughs> sure. Oh, man. So that's how nice. have you been? How's quarantine going? How's, how's life? How's everything? You know, it's been pretty good i sort of retired from the day-to-day of television production last year and sort of moved to a home office which i'm in love with Mm -hmm. um and anybody sees me on instagram you can see it like it's outside by the pool like it's a really like i'm trying to make the best of being at home which if you live in la and you don't have to drive to an office it's sort of like a monumentous moment of of wonder discs not having to drive in the la traffic is the greatest thing ever so from that perspective it's been okay but i think it's just the politicizing of it there's so much hype around it everybody's so like aggro and crazy we don't know really what's going on it's just i find that has been an impediment to me to actually getting more work done i thought i'd be taking this opportunity because all my speaking gigs are gone <laughs> gone so now i have all this time my weekend travel stuff gone so now I have all this time and I was like, I'm going to make the most of it. And it's like, I'm still waiting to make the most of it. I'm still waiting to make some of it. Like I have been burning days and like putting things off. And I, I appreciate you being honest about it because my audience watches me and I am, pra- I'm probably part I robot or alien. I'm not sure. Maybe both. Yeah. And so quarantine, Corona, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, 2020, like what is going on has been tremendous for me. I've done that. I've done what you plan to do. So I, I want to thank you for your honesty. And I want to know what your plans are to maybe, I don't know if it's a mindset shift. I don't know if it's a, like, what do you think you're going to need to do to uh, turn this ship around and go where you wanted to go during the, uh, this whole situation? I think for me, I got to, I got to, I got to find some deadlines and some impending elements. Like I have found that when I have a client that I'm doing something specific with, then I kind of get back on track because I have a schedule of things that have to happen. And, you know, prior to this, it's like, Oh, I have this trip here and I have to be speaking in Orlando. So it's like, I know the parameters of when I can get on my computer and do work or return emails or create something or write something. Right. I have those windows. And so it forces me to do that. And sometimes it's like, oh, great. I'm flying across the, you know, going coast to coast flight. I'll have four hours of like dedicated time. Okay, I'll, I'll use it for that. And now it's, everything's open. So I, I got to get back into like that routine where it's like, I put some milestones on my calendar. I have some openings and see if I can sort of push that. But I also think that you get to, and it's like this in life, you get to sort of a plateau of things where they're, they're good so you try to get them to be better. Then they're really good. So now you want it to be excellent. But the higher you get, the less motivation. And it's like, yeah, I could do a lot extra stuff. But it's like, why, why am I working so hard? Like, it's not going to change what my life is now. You know, I get a few extra things done. I rewrite my website copy. Like, not going to, you know. Right, it's still so a little bit of busy work. I, I, I agree with that. It's interesting Cause that I love that the thought process of plateaus, like so many times you're, you're like crawl, like ah, trying to climb that yeah. mountain when you are uh, just starting off. And there really is that hunger and there really is that drive and there really is that motivation. You know, it's a, like a John Maxwell thing, the law of trade-offs, but it's like, what do you really need to trade off now? What, what really needs to be like, your life is good, which makes it so, yeah. so comfortable. So, um, how do you, do you have a plan to push yourself then out of, your current comfort zone to make you reach for more or um, are we in a mate, a current maintenance no. plateau? Like what's well, that? I'm actually going the other way around and I speak a lot about this and I wrote an article on Forbes about it. Um, I'm trying to get into the mode where what I have going is the best. If it was the best it ever got that I would be completely happy, satisfied and make the most of that. And I spent a long time, uh, in sort of the entertainment industry at a, at a pretty high level. And that creates a certain hamster wheel mentality. And we are chasing dollars and chasing ratings and chasing status and chasing credits. And you're, everything's about that positioning and that, and it's, and it's an, it's an exhausting process. And so when I got out of that and did the book, it gave me this kind of window into a moment where it was like, Oh my God, like what if it never got better than this? What if this was it? 
not making any more money, not getting any more friends, like not getting bigger houses, whatever it is, kids aren't getting younger. Like if I can't be happy at this level, like that's a huge problem. So I've been in that mode to try to really train myself to be like, Hey, if this is as good as it gets, this is amazing. And then if it does get better, it's like, I'm, I'm going to be ready for a sort of exponential growth. What I found from this quarantine is I didn't realize that I had basically got back in the treadmill a little bit after the book, the book has done pretty well. So that's created a whole new noise around me. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much I was chasing my tail. Like, you know, from speaking thing to speaking thing, to client to this, this person in like, it just, it was busy work and it was fun and I like it. But when that all disappeared, gone, it made me realize like, oh, I don't really have a lot of other things to do other than just the going to this person, meeting with this person, getting on this call, doing this interview, going on this stage. Like that was just a cycle. Mm-hmm. There was no advancement in what I was doing. Right. So how did you get into that? How did you get into the TV producing and, and that whole world? No, I, it was back up in Canada and I used to run bars and nightclubs, among other things that I failed at. And I used to, on Sundays, to try to keep people from leaving when the football games were over, I'd make up all these crazy games and contests in the bar. And it worked really, really well. And we had a lot of fun. And then when I lost that bar and came back home, I was working at, like, help my friend's bar. And I said, man, we used to do these hilarious games. We should make a night of that. So we made a night of that. It went really well. And then I just sort of, this would be a great TV show. We should be doing this at all different bars. So I came up with this idea for a TV show, spent my own money, don't ever do that. <laughs> and could not sell it in Canada, could not get anybody to pay attention. They were like, why would we buy a TV show from you? We can buy f- episodes of Friends and Seinfeld for $50,000 because the Canadian market's much different. And then I was basically bankrupt. I was living in my parents' basement with my two-year-old child and wife. And I got like one meeting down in the United States and I brought all my stuff and I met one person who met another person who introduced me to another person and so on and so on and so on. And then I got an offer from NBC to come in and they were going to do the show. And then they wanted to hire me to come put together the material like I did for my show for their shows. And then the agent that I had met basically just called everybody that I had met in the United States like, hey, this guy's going to be off the market. NBC wants him. And it was like, who is he? What is he? We want him. And then I had like a big fancy job offer to come and run a development for a company. I didn't know anything about anything. And my wife and I were like, hell, it's a one-year contract. We'll just move to the United States. I don't know anything about TV. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. They just, you know, and so I moved down. And it's a funny story because like uh, six months later, eight months later, whatever it was, I had sold this pilot, muscle car makeover to CMT. And we were in Las Vegas at a focus group because they take a pilot and they behind the glass right? and they pay people $25 and a sandwich to tell you terrible things about your idea. Right. Yep. And so the guy who runs the focus roof comes out and I'm sitting beside the president of the network. And he says, Hey, do you guys want to do the slide or the dial test for audience interaction? And Paul looks over me and he goes, I don't know, Brent, you've done this more than I have. And you've never and done like, it. I've never been in that room. No, are you kidding? And I, was <laughs> like, uh, I like the slide. He's like, great, let's do that. And that was my, first few years right and then it wasn't till i don't know maybe four or five years later and i got the job i was the head of discovery channels tlc channel and i realized like oh wait i'm not like pretending anymore like i've learned the system and i've i'm actually you know but even 15 years later said almost more than that now but 15 years later there'd be things that happened with people that i realized oh right i was never a pa on a set before or it's like, oh no, I don't know how to do that because I've never been in the mailroom at the agency. Like there, there are <laughs> that's such a cool story. Everybody's been through that I I missed that people still to this day don't realize. It's like, wow, yeah, I, I don't okay. know anything about that. I need to like like I gotta beep beep back that up. There's so much to unpack in there because yeah. that's I I didn't know that. It's so cool. So I I I have a lot of okay. So first of all, you said I I realized I'm not pretending anymore after five years of whatever it was. So I, I want to know when you were kind of going through the, maybe those first five years, or even like you said, after 15, you're like, I was never this. I was never that. Yeah. Were there ever times when you were there thinking to yourself, oh my God, somebody's going to find me out and I'm going to lose everything. And oh my, uh, God. oh my God. All the time. 
all the time because we used to do that when, when, when we moved down, we bought a house here in Los Angeles. And at the time we could not find a house to place to live in. It was the craziest thing experience because it was right at the real estate boom when it was going crazy, when you could buy houses just by saying your name out loud, they give you a million dollar mortgage, right? Well, you come from Canada, you can't get any mortgage. Like we, you know, we're just trying to rent a place, can't find a place. So this one guy shows me his place. He won't rent it to me. Um, because it's brand new. He's like, why don't you just buy it? I was like, I can't, I can't buy it. And he's like, I can get you a mortgage, no problem. It was $650,000 for this house. And I was like, the house we, the last house I sold to pay for my stupid TV show was like 160. So I was like, well, this is insane. But my wife and I both said like, well, and he, and he ended up getting this love, this mortgage with no money down and no social security. Number. It was the most ridiculous thing. That's the way the time was. But more importantly was, I remember saying to my wife, we're like, listen, we have a one-year contract. Everybody's going to figure out that I shouldn't be here. We're going back anyways. What does it matter? We're not putting any money down, and, and we're just going to save as much money as we can and go back, right? And then, then I got another contract. And then, so up until, well, I haven't felt like I belong yet. But at some point in my life, I will feel like I've done enough to warrant where I'm at, right? Like, that's the way imposter syndrome is. One of my best friends ran ABC and he said to me, he's like, you know, we're all just one bad email away from everyone figuring out we're a fraud. Like we're not qualified for our jobs. Nobody feels like they're good enough to be doing this. Everybody feels like if they had one more thing, if they could just get one more credit, one more promotion, one more success, then they'd be ready. Right. And doing the book really taught me that because there's a thousand and I'm being kind to myself. There's a thousand producers that have done more, achieved more, made more, can do better, that could have written this book, that could be doing this, that would be more justified. And if I sat there and waited for more accolades or IMDB credits or whatever, I would never have done it. But the expert and the person that makes stuff happen is the person that holds up their hand and says like, yep, that's me, I'll do it. Oh, I hope everyone wrote that down. The person who just, ah, just make it happen. It's so true. And so- this I love that you you it came out of your mouth, not mine. Imposter syndrome. My hundredth episode was literally all about imposter syndrome. Because yeah, I sat tough. there and I'm it's like, I mean, over. I've got like Trent Richardson on the podcast, I've got Rob Deerdick on the podcast, I've got all the I'm like, what if they find out that uh I mean, then it goes back yeah. to why when we were on at you know the stage together at the bold conference, the whole time I'm like, these people don't know me. Like, what if they find out I'm not I'm not a I'm not a uh I don't even know what to be like, I'm not I don't own a uh, advertising firm. I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm not a TV producer. I'm not a CEO. I mean, I'm a CEO of my own life and like of my LLCs yeah. <laughs> of my no, corporation. That goes around everywhere. And I, and I have this great thing that I do on stage and all. And I say, I, I have the key to life for you to think about when you're in business, when you're moving forward, when you're trying to do things, here's the phrase that you need to keep in mind that will help you every time you feel anything like that. Are you ready? I'm ready. I got pen and paper. Nobody has all their shit together. (laughs) That's it. Nobody. Some people have a lot of shit together. Some people have most of their shit together, but nobody has it all together. I have worked with very fancy people in very fancy industries. I've worked with the hugest companies and the biggest CEOs, and none of them have all their shit together. And it's taken me a while to sort of get comfortable with that because you have to remember, like, I'm effectively, I've done some movies and stuff, but I'm, I'm effectively a reality TV producer. Like that's not the highest level of the the ladder. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember a couple of things. I, you know, the San Francisco 49ers brought me in to help them with their big pitch um, to get WrestleMania and to find sponsors. I mean, it was a huge thing. And I just, it was overwhelming. But I realized that, you know, they're really good. They're really good at draft days. And they're really good at forming lineups for teams. And they're really good at marketing tickets. There are things that they don't do. And the biggest revelation is I was flying down to Miami to work with this company that hired me. They, they do type one diabetes, gene therapy, anti-rejection drugs. Wow. Really fancy. And as I'm on doing more research, cause the, you know, they hired me and flying down, I'm doing more research. And I realized that the, the head of the medical side of this company has a wing of the Miami hospital named after him. That's how well-regarded he is in the, in the scientific medical community. And wow. I'm, I have this wave of panic where it's like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? I can't, like, I'm a TV producer and I'm going into this life-altering company that does this. I, I can't even barely spell the things in their bios, right? So 
it was so overwhelming and panicking. And I was like, they're going to figure out, I don't know anything about anything. But after about 10 minutes in the boardroom with 30 of them in there, I realized, okay, so you guys do the gene therapy thing and that's it. You do everything else terribly. Like I, I literally could have done any other form job in that business other than this guy with the test tubes effectively, because that's what they're really good at. Yep. And I, you know, I, I can tell you, I go to companies and I'm like, I can't believe this is how you operate your company, but because they do one thing incredibly well and they focus on that. And if you come into my life, you'll see the same thing where it's like, I can't believe this is how you live. You could be so much bigger, so much better, so many more things if you had this part of your life, life all put together. It's like, that's not the way life works. Like you have things you excel at and the things that you don't. And if you spend too much time on the focus on the things you don't do well, it will take away from the things you do really well. Oh, I love that. Everyone needs to rewind, listen to that, <laughs> screenshot it, put it in your story, tag Brant. My God, I love that you said that because I think so many of us, myself included, this is why I started hiring staff. You know, like I have a pretty decent sized staff now is I'm like, I'm bad at that. I'm bad at that. I'm bad at that. I suck at that. I'm terrible at that. How this is all going to come crashing down. Like I remember it's like, I finally hire really, really talented tax people. And they're like, wow, you, you, like, nothing was wrong. Like, I don't owe any money to the government or anything. Uh, a matter of fact, they got me a lot of money back. They're like, your CPAs were trash. I'm like, they said they were, like, one of the best firms. They're like, no. And it just, everything reminded me, like, God, there's always, like, somebody's always better. But I love that you gave permission to do one thing incredibly well and focus all in on that. I think yeah. there is this trend right now where people, I don't know if it's, like, because a Michael Jordan quote went, or like not quote, but Michael Jordan, like philosophy went viral or something, but it's like, yeah. you don't need to be bad at defense at defense and then get really good at it. And then you're terrible at free throws and now spend a thousand hours getting good at that. And then like, you don't. And ultimately, you don't. if you really narrow that down, what is Michael Jordan good at? Basketball. Basketball. Like it's not 7,000 things. So I love that. Nobody has all their ish together. I love that. And I, I have a question about this. Um, I'm going back a little bit, but you mentioned chasing stats and credits was basically your life for a long time yeah. there. And I just, I want to know, did you ever internalize any of that? Like, were you ever one of those people who would look and read and, uh, you know, kind of care, I guess, what people are saying oh about you? Oh my God. It, it not care. It was like, it drove my life. Uh, one of the things, and I make, I mean, I've been making jokes about it for years is like, I don't have an Emmy. Like, I, I don't know any of my friends. They all have Emmys. Like, you can win an Emmy for basically anything, and I can't get one. And it used to make me crazy. And in fact, I did a show called Intervention uh, on A&E years that, ago. Okay, okay, hold on. I got to stop. Pause. Pause the podcast. I did not know that was your show. That is literally, like, my favorite show of all time. I don't know why. I could not turn it off. I, well, I haven't seen it in, like, oh, over a decade. But I would yeah. get sucked in. Sucked in. It's a great show. Very hard to produce. But we got nominated for an Emmy. And I was like so excited because I was like, oh my God, at least now I can like really, I can get in there. And we actually won. Sort of. Let me back up. When we got the nomination, it was for the show, but it was for editing on the show. And it was one editor because this one editor that we had been training was the only one on this episode for some reason that was the one that got nominated so none of us no executive producers nobody else is nominated just him and he wins so he has an emmy <laughs> for my show and i don't so well i will tell you i'm gonna i'm crazy. gonna give you a jesse lee i'm gonna make look there's a lot of trophies i'll mail you one okay no, uh, that's what I <laughs> no but i i love um you know what it's interesting this has nothing really to do with the podcast but i think that it's interesting the way that life, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it works, because I think that that show gave me so much compassion towards humans in an interesting oh, way. Um, and I think, I don't know exactly what exact parallels I could draw from this, but you know, I, I've always had a, a big compassion for addicts and I think maybe, you know, your show might've had something to do with that. So really cool, cool kind of full circle moment there. That's really awesome. Um, but I yeah, want to thank you for that transparency. Because and that, that carried through a lot of my life, though. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that would be – the Emmy thing was a thing. Or it's like I – you know, I wanted to have bigger shows and more successes and bigger hits. And you and you get in the trappings of always trying to chase what the next thing is and how to be perceived bigger and better and more effective. And that just sort of, like, it drove me a lot. 
And it wasn't until I got to the point where I, I had sold my company once and then I was like, I don't know what to do now. So I started another one. It was like, I didn't really want to rebuild a TV company again. Like, oh, but what else am I going to do? That's what everybody expects from me. Kind of got to do it. That's what I do. And so that, that was like very difficult for me to sort of get up every day and really grind it. And that's when I started to realize, like, I think I want to do something else. Mm-hmm. So was that your transition into being an author? Yeah. Yeah, that, it was just, it was, I just didn't have the creative enjoyment in TV anymore. And it's not, it's not a creative exercise. People think it's all sexy and fantastic and amazing. It's not, it's a grind. Anything you do for a living is a grind. It's a lot of work, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of competition, all those things. And so, and it's super unrewarding if you like the creative process or the the camaraderie of success, right? Like you're just... You, you finally get a show on, but then it's got to rate. And then you got to get, so then you got to get two. Then you got well, to It's a business. No, it's a business. It's, it's a, not creative. It's a, it's a business. business. Yeah. And, you know, I had been approached by this investment banker guy who asked me, can you teach my clients how to do what you do? And I was like, no, I can't teach you how to sell TV. She's like, no, I want you to teach my clients how to pitch their idea without putting the people to sleep. And I was like, I don't know. I never tried that. So he flew me down to Florida. I went to one of his investor conferences where he has public companies present to high net worth and institutional investors say, Hey, our company's really cool. You should buy stock effectively. And I sat on this oil and gas company and it was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was so embarrassed for the poor guy as he's up there. Nobody understood what he did or why I was like, why would anybody want to be involved in your company? You didn't even explain it. And so he asked me like, Hey, can you fix that a little bit? I was like, I could probably help you. And then he was just like, Oh my God, I have to come. You have to redo this thing. So he flew out to Los Angeles and like on the weekends, I worked with him and redid his presentation. I just did it just like I would do a TV show. And he left me this voicemail a few weeks later. And he basically said, you've changed my life. I used to hate going on the road. You know, my wife thinks you put something in my drink. The stock is up. We completed our raise. I will never be able to thank you for what you've done for me. And I was just like, oh. I was like, no network president had ever said that to me. Yeah. Like, and I'm, you know, I'm barely a chromosome from away from being a caveman. So like my <laughs> ego was like, oh, I like that. let's go do more of that, you know? And so I, the investment bank was like, Hey, we got another, I got another client. Let's do that. And those people actually genuinely appreciated what I was doing. And there was something I found. I was more excited to wait to hear from one of my clients about how their next pitch went than I was to get up in the morning and check the ratings. Um, mostly because I knew it was going to be disappointing because it's always disappointing. But I realized that like, that was driving me more than the TV side of it. Wow. And so I just sort of pushed to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm not, I can't, I can't wait to become more of an expert in this world. I just can't because it's never going to happen. If I keep waiting for that, it's never going to happen. And so I put the book proposal together and I went and did the book tour thing of all the publishers and got lucky and and then that was it it was it was very fast after that uh, you know the, the if the lar- one of the largest publishers in the world says hey we're gonna pay you a pile of money to write this book you're like oh maybe i'll do that I'm right out. right that was, that was a little jerry Maguire like here's my goldfish i'm out of here kind of there was a little bit of that vibe that i felt because i really actually wanted to get out I, I love, like, I want to thank you for transparency because I feel like a lot of times, especially very successful men, people think that there's, um, there's no emotion behind things and you are opening up in so many different ways during this. And I, I just want to take a moment to appreciate that. Uh, I love that, that it's like, you're, you're very masculine, obviously, like you said, uh, you are one chromosome <laughs> from a caveman. He That's puffed right. his chest up. You guys couldn't see it, but he went boom and he puffed his chest up. But, um, you, I love that you're still you're still human, right? You're still drawing on those things that make us human. You're still emotional. You still want to be appreciated and told you're appreciated. And I think sometimes in business people, you know, they, they forget that. They forget to tell people, hey, good job, Brant. Like that show was awesome or whatever it is. And yeah. it, it shoved you in a totally different path. So, you know, maybe thank God it did. But uh, I love that. And I, I love that that person with the really terrible oil pitch uh, you know, got to learn from you. Uh, and so I do want to talk a little bit about your book because I am a fan. I have it here in my hand. It is, again, I'll say it. It's it's on my book list. So if you go to jessieleeward.com forward slash book list, um, it is hyperlinked on Amazon. So you guys can go grab it. But um, it's called The Three Minute Rule. 
I've also sold a ton to my team already. So like, this is old news to them, but he's winking. He's all happy. All of a sudden he's like, yes, yes. Um, but anyway, so it's, it's say less to get more from any pitch or presentation. And I love this because I'll, I mean, I can probably, I'll let you encapsulate it, but I'll do a Jesse Lee encapsulation of the book in 10 seconds. Basically y'all are saying too much. Like you think you have to say all the details on planet earth in order to close somebody. And what this book goes through is exactly how to, um, like take a, I have, look at all these post-it notes here. Here you go. Okay. Take everything, take all the ideas, break it all down and then put your pitch, no matter how complicated or convoluted your current conversation is, whether it's like the diabetes conversation you mentioned or oil or network marketing or whatever it is. And making it three minutes. And I will tell you, I never told you this. I should, because now I know you love words. <laughs> but I, I gave it a try. I did the whole thing with the post-it notes and rearranging them and, uh, you know, the bringing in like a credible, you know, all of it. I did the book. I did the thing. Nice. And uh, I pitched, I, I got it to like four minutes and 15 seconds, but from 15 minutes to four minutes and 15 seconds. So a huge uptick in my, my personal, I do these um, trial pitches for my product every Monday night. Right. And I've done it now for almost five years. So it's been like 15 minutes for five years straight. And I got it down to, you know, four minutes, including intro and close with whatever. So maybe it was a three minute pitch. There and uh, I mean, pew, pew. so I just wanted to give you a, a little shout out. It was, uh, but I, I really enjoy this. I really enjoyed this book. And uh, so again, it's the three minute rule, say less to get more from any picture presentation, but he tells you exactly what to do. He, he breaks it all down for you. And so yeah. we now know how you got the idea for it, but uh, where do you really see this going? And, and maybe you want to encapsulate it a little differently than I did since it is your book. No, maybe. listen, you nailed it. Uh, that Listen, it's a little bit of a, I like to say it's the say less to get more movement. I'm getting, you know, people are the same epiphany you had where it's like, oh my God, you, can you please stop talking? Like, that's the main thing I say to almost every client when I have my first consultation. It's like, okay, just stop talking. Like, whoa, you're way over the edge, right? Because it's not about what you want to say. It's about what needs to be said. Mm. And separating those two things is very difficult. Can you say it again? Uh, it's so powerful what you just said. Say it again. It is not what you want to say. It is what needs to be said. And it's hard to separate those two things. It's taken me more than 15 years to learn how to say things in three minutes or less. So the process that I lay out in the book and step-by-step step of how to simplify your information is very powerful. And in today's world, people notice that. They notice simplicity because it's sex. Simplicity is the new sexy. I say that all the time, right? Clarity is what's compelling. And information is value today. And I do this thing on stage where I tell people I show a picture of a picture of Niagara Falls froze at the turn of the century, absolutely froze solid, stopped flowing. Right. What was interesting is about 5,000 people live in Niagara at the time. And this raging torrent of billions of gallons of water smashing on the rocks below relentlessly for their entire lives. Right. It freezes solid at 3:30 in the morning and the entire town is woken up, jarred out of their beds, out into the street, wondering what the hell happened. Because they had been tuning out that raging rapid of noise all their lives. And the silence of the falls freezing was the loudest sound they had heard in years. That gave me in chills. Our, Look. Ooh. And in our world, media promises, marketing, click funnels, ads, YouTube pre-roll. That's a raging torrent water of smashing who gives a crap information and the audience today has tuned that out it is white noise it is background and if you learn how to say things in a clear concise simplified matter it matter it cuts through all that and it will be the loudest sound that your audience hears and the book takes you through that process and it's very easy to do but it takes a little bit of an emotional commitment because there are things that you love about your pitch or presentation that you're dying to say. And it's like, you don't need to say that in the first three minutes. You'll get to that. I have to say that all the time. I promise you, you'll get to talk about your clinical trials. I promise you, you'll get to talk about this. Just not in the first three minutes because it doesn't have the right context. It doesn't provide the right structure. The framework of telling a story is really important today. Oh, 
You gave me chills like three times for that. Maybe it's because oh, yeah. I love it so. I love sales so much. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. I just love it because it's all—it's one of those things. I, I'm guessing you must feel like this. You just want to shake people. You yeah. want to shake people because it's like they get so excited about like you said. So I'm in a health and wellness. I'm, I do a lot of stuff. But my big liquid income is health and wellness. And it's exactly what you said. It's. Let me talk about the clinical trials. Let me talk about all of the these studies. Let me talk about 120 years of keto. Nobody cares. They want to know if it makes them skinnier. They want to know if they have better energy. They want to know okay. if it tastes good and if it's made by a doctor. Show them a photo. End of discussion. Tell them the flavors. Bada bing, bada boom. We're done yeah. here. Wrap it up. Take the money. You win. That's right. And that's how I break it out into those four categories when you're trying to pitch somebody. Is what is it? How does it work? Are you sure? And can you do it? It's called the whack method. And it basically goes to the core of the way we rationalize decisions. The way we make decisions as humans is we conceptualize it. Once we do that, we contextualize it. Is it, how does it work for me? And then we actualize it. Do I want it? How do I get it? That's it. And it's called a rationalization story. We rationalize every decision. So you build your pitch to mimic that. Because if you, if you hear people droning on about something your brain is like god could you just tell me what this is like can we just just how does this work like that's what you want or you completely lose the sale what i see is like it's it's not even just a droning out it's like i i mean i was into it we're done like i can't because and a lot of it i feel like and again we might have different opinions on this but i probably think we don't it's like you're sitting there and you're thinking if i buy from this person if i take this deal if I invest in this, do I have to hear a conversation like this every time I talk to him? Because, like, I don't have 40 minutes every time I pick up the phone. <laughs> oh, my God. That is hilarious. Yes, that is exactly one of the main issues that people will be like, oh, my God, am I going to hear this? But when you simplify it, if you just tell people, here's what it is, here's how it works. Here's how I can verify those things. And here's how we get it. It's like, boing. That's really where people are drawn. And it's. It's at its core, it's the idea of what's called approach motivation. There's a huge study about why we as consumers or people are drawn to the things that we are drawn to. It's how they, you know, come up with branding logos and all this kind of stuff is the study of approach motivation. And what we used to believe for the last 70 years is that what you desire, you focus on, right? If you want something, you'll pay attention effectively. And so we developed what's called the state and prove method in advertising and sales, which is I'm going to tell you something that you want and then I'm going to tell you how you get it. Hey, would you like to lose weight and eat whatever you want, not have to exercise? You're like, oh, I would. Great. Here's how that works, right? Hey, would you like to have an investment that makes you 10 times your money by the end of the year? And then you're like, ooh, tell me more, right? Like, yes, if we could get in a time machine, go back to the 60s and 70s, maybe that works. But today, imagine someone says that to you in an elevator, in an elevator pitch. It's like, oh, I developed an accounting software that will save you 50% of all your accounting needs without doing any work. You'll be like, yeah, get the hell out of here. Right? Yep. It's your first thought is like, oh, God, that's called the state and prove method. Mm-hmm. And the claims over the years have gotten so high and the delivery is so low that it's created a very hypersensitive audience mm-hmm. that distrusts everything. And it's funny, on my keynotes, I used to talk about clickbait. And how clickbait was used and that's a problem. I don't even talk about it anymore because nobody falls for it anymore. Like, you know clickbait just from the headline now. That's how we've trained ourselves to be against this kind of element. You know the click funnel system now. Second you get into something and someone's like, I'm going to give you my free ebook. You're like, F off right yep. away. Like, yep. So you can see them. You can see the build of the website. You're like, oh, that's it. I'm out, right? Whereas... What we teach in Hollywood and when we're writing and what I've basically transitioned into the book from for practical uses is how to use Hollywood level storytelling to build your pitch. And instead of using the state and prove method, you're using what's called the inform and lead method, which means I have the hook of my story. I'm going to lead you there so that your conclusion is my conclusion. And there's science behind this in approach motivation. We've discovered that focus creates desire meaning whatever you pay attention to you'll actually start to want the outcome and with the attention span of people being so fickle 
if I give you my precious attention, I want value right now. And if I get value from it, I stay in that mode where I'm paying attention and focused, I'll actually start to create the desire for the outcome myself. We've been doing that in Hollywood forever. You know, we don't, my favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. Spoiler alert, he escapes. But we don't start that movie by saying, hey, Andy Dufresne escapes from this really bad prison. Let me tell you why. It's like, no, we show you the character. We show you his plight. We show you what he's going through. And by the time it's time for him to escape, you want it. Every time you watch the movie, you want him to escape. Mm-hmm. We've created that de- desire by using the information. And when you mimic a pitch in that same way, you take the hook of the pitch, the best part of it, and you lead your audience to it. It becomes their desire as, as well. They want it to work out. They want it to be successful. They want it. And I, you lead them there without big statements. You start with a big statement, they're going to be just looking to disprove it from you from the second you start. I, <laughs> that was all so good. Brant, you just got to get, I just got to get you warmed up. That's all. I needed to just like virtually massage you a little. That was so good. Everyone needs to re-listen to all of that. I could, I could recap all of it. I'm a fast writer. I have, I think all of it written down, but so much of it, I guess if I could just chunk it down is it's all it all comes down to facts tell story sell and in these days people like you said I love that you brought up the hypersensitivity because I think people they still sometimes get razzle dazzled by the click funnels you know and they think it's going to work and they spend all this money to do this stuff and then they wonder this is such a relationship market in 2020 this is such a tell me really what's going on in my world just can you just tell me what this is and how it works right that's really where they're at. And if you look at the the internet uh, entrepreneurs that are selling you click funnels and selling you ebooks, it's like I've met all of them. I've gone through the entire thing from the TV perspective and the author perspective, um, and I can tell you, there's no business there. Like it's all hype, it's all phony, because they're chasing a diminishing audience to the bottom. And I worked with a very very large. Um, entertainment company in Las Vegas that brought me in to help consult on their timeshare business. Timeshares, click funnels, that kind of stuff, very similar. But the idea in that world was we have to sign you. We get you to a place, uh, exotic location. We make you sit through three hour presentation and then we get you to sign right there in the emotion. No, you can't look it up. No, you can't call a friend. No, you can't check reviews. Just sign. And what God I'm bless Google like, these days, you know, because like you said, they so used to crazy. put you literally in a dark room and you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't escape. Yeah. And so what was crazy is the second you'd sign, they'd literally take that contract right over to customer retention because they know within 48 hours you are calling to cancel. It's like 97% of the people. And so what they're finding is, is that the people that they can sell that style to where they can pressure them, where they can put it and they can like sign on a motion and all that kind of stuff. That group is getting smaller and smaller and older and older. But, you know, no 30-year-old today is going to buy anything of consequence without looking it up on the internet and looking for Never. And so what I've had to work with them to train them on the idea is like, hey, listen, you cannot trick people into this anymore. It's not working. That's why the sales are doing what they're doing. That's why you're, everything that you're finding is happening is because the audience doesn't buy like this so we had to go back to the core value of what a timeshare is like it's not bad for everybody there are people that it's an amazing investment and amazing vacation piece for their family they love it right which is great we had to go find what that value was and then focus the whole entire pitch on are you the person that would find value in this and their conversion rate is actually going up and it's like, and it's just in trials now because they, they wouldn't implement it across their entire sales force because they were so terrified of actually putting it in black and white. And like, this is not how we do it. This is supposed to be fine print, you know? And I find that in, in network marketing area, in, in multi-level, it's like, it's the same sort of thing where you can't hide. It is what it is. And it does work amazing for the right person. So your goal is to illustrate value for the right person, for the right audience. Mm. And when they, people start doing that, it's like, oh, the results are astronomical. Oh, this is good. So how does somebody start to determine who 
uh, is the right audience, in your opinion? I think I think it it goes to the core value, right? Like, what are you actually offering? What do you deliver? What's real? And it's like, who wants that, right? And that's why Timeshares was easy because it was easy to figure out who's going to pay the same amount every year to go to these group of hotels. Like, who? Do, what kind of person does that? And it turns out it is a certain family in a certain style. So it's like, okay, so like, you can't turn around people who don't fit into that model anymore. So it's more importantly to get it out right now. Here's where this is. Here's the value of this. Do you want this? And what they're finding is people that they wouldn't have thought would have necessarily found the value when they see it clear and wildly like unfiltered with neuro-linguistic programming and closed stuff, they're actually drawn to it. They start to convince themselves of why this might be good for them. Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful thing. So it's more important to not think about your audience or how you're going to impress them or how you're going to get to know them. It's more like, how do you get to know your product, the way you explain it so they can do the work for you? Mm -hmm. They will get there. If you lay out the information, they will get there. And I, I use this a lot when I'm in a seminar or whatnot. It's like, if your audience could understand your business product or service at the same level you do, if they knew all the nuances, if they understood it like you, you do, they'd have to be involved because you are. Something convinced you to do the job you're doing. Something convinced you to be there. So all you're trying to do is get that information that you have into your audience's understanding. If they understand it deep enough, they will be interested. And so the problem is, is a lot of times we try to get all of the information out right as fast as we can, as much as we can, because we love it. We love our information. Oh my God, we're so excited. <laughs> and the truth is, is like, it's the, and the book is really good about showing you how to do this. It's about yes. building the foundation of understanding. Yep. Start with the core elements, build on it, create a great structure, get them to understand it piece by piece, like you would a movie or a TV show. We build it piece by piece, character by character. You understand their motivation. You understand what they do. And now you want them to end. You want Rocky to get off off the canvas. You want him to escape from the prison. If you've ever seen CSI or, or NYPD blue or any of those shows, they all end the same way every single episode. And you want it that way because when the story's told, right, you want the ending. Mm-hmm. And then people really sell themselves is, is really what that means. Yeah. So, cause they understand it. Like you said, I love that. I, I think that's a really great goal that I just want to reiterate. Cause you gave people a goal, which is to have your customer understand something as much as you do, because that will, that will, that will force them to want to do what you do. I just think yeah. that, that just is. Ask yourself, do you want to be sold anything? Answer, nobody wants to be sold anything. It's, it's, it's over. You cannot sell things to people anymore. And the people that can be sold are so it's such a small group and it's getting smaller and everybody's chasing those people because they get sucked into stuff. You can't sell people. They will buy, but you can't sell them. And if you, they feel like you are trying to sell them, Ooh, ah, that reeks. Ooh, yuck out. They're gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And I teach that is like, do not be a, don't be salesy. That's, that's not going to win today. It's, it's the opposite. It's like the greater your desire to achieve your objective, the more likely you're going to turn your passion for your product into promotion. Mm. And when people smell that, mm. they're out. Oh, commission and breath is like. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. And that's hard for people to get really clear is that you don't, you passion is great for what you do, but it can't come across as desperation. Oof. And it can't come across to your audience that you'll say anything to make this sale. Cause that's, you're dead in the water. Right. Dead in the water. Passion can't come across as desperation. I love it. Yeah. Just writing it down. I love it. So I respect your time. I know we've been rolling. I feel like I could talk to you for another 10 hours. Oh, we must We must go shark diving or something together sometime soon. Well, you we're going to have is... a whole... I mean, I, I got to now thin out my adventure club calendar because I don't know when we're going to be... I know. Here. Well, but eventually our dates will align, I'm sure, and we yeah. can go do fun stuff together, but... Shark diving is back on for September 1st. Okay, well, I don't know you what's happening September 1st. standing invite. Oh, I'm free. you said you need more powerful females. I'm like, hey! What's it's up? True. 
Um, okay, so thank you. Appreciate that. So I do have one more question. I would just like to know if there was one final tip that you think you could give to somebody that will take their uh, their sales, their pitch, their business to the next level, whatever that looks like for them. What do you think that would be? Uh, I would say confidence. Stop thinking about confidence as a personal thing. Mm. Think about confidence as an information thing. When you're confident in the information and the value of the information you bring, that is where the core of real confidence comes from. And people spend a lot of time trying to work on their presentation in a physical sense, how you say the words, the words you use, the tie you wear, what dress you're wearing. And that is not what confidence is. Confidence is in the value of the information you bring and your belief in it. And I'll give you a great example. If I was going to cater your wedding and I was going to try to sell you on the chef I was going to have at your wedding and I had Gordon Ramsay, how many words would I need to sell you that idea, right? I have Gordon. Yeah, four. Okay. (laughs) How would I walk into that room to meet you? Would I be like, or would I be like chest up? Yeah. Big smile, feeling good. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be selling you. I'd be telling you the great news, right? That's how it would be. Now imagine the same situation, but it's actually my brother-in-law, ex-convict, tattooed, who doesn't really cook, but desperately needs a job and is demanding that I put him up for it how many words would I need to try to sell you that, right? Like I'd be coming up with a whole briefcase full of words. I'd be selling you. And one of two things would happen. I'd either walk into the room a little bit sullen and my voice would be down a bit, right? Because I would not feel it. Or I would be, I got great news. I'd be the opposite. I'd be compensating. And you would know it right away. As the words keep coming out of my mouth and I'm pretending to be confident about this and trying to sell you, you'd sense it and it'd be over. And so what I tell people is the value of what you bring to someone else is somewhere on the scale between Gordon Ramsay and my convict ex-brother, okay? Somewhere on there. And the more words you use, that's where you're telling your audience where the value is. Use more, they know it's closer to the convict's brother on. Oh, that's so good. Oh, Brad. I know you are all loving this. And so I will definitely tag his Instagram and information, website, et cetera, in the show notes. Yeah, let's but do it. it's easy. I'm pretty sure it's just at Brant Pinvidic. Uh, but they'll spell it wrong because a lot of brands have D's in the names, et cetera. So I will definitely. <laughs> yeah. Or the three minute rule.com. You can get everything linked there too. Perfect. I appreciate you so much. I value our friendship and I know your time right is on, valuable. Right so thank you for being on here. Thank you for dropping so much value. And um, if you haven't already, everybody, make sure you screenshot, make sure you get this in your stories, make sure you tell a friend. And this is a podcast I would definitely share to your team, especially if you want them to sell more. So we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for being on here today. And uh, I hope it was another great episode of The People's Mentor. I knew it. I knew it. You loved this episode of the show with France. I knew you would. The letter of this episode is N. N as in Nancy. Quick final reminder, make sure that you screenshot this, put it in your Instagram story, tag me, tag Brands, give us your biggest takeaway. And I love and I appreciate every single one of you, your shares, your reviews, your subscriptions. They mean so much to me. Have a great one, guys.